Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the College Chaos Podcast here on the Crystal Ball College Football Channel. I'm Garrett Ross. As always, joined by my man, Jack McKenzie. What up? Emory Winter holding it down, and we are fresh off of Big 12 Media Days. There have been a lot of interesting takes coming out of there, and you know, you jump into this new week, and you have SEC you know, coming up, and they're having their Media Days as well, and you have a nice transition as Texas wrapped up their final uh, Big 12 Media Days, and they'll be looking ahead to the SEC. And I thought it would be a good time to bring in my man Tommy Yar. She covers the horns at Horns 247. Tommy, what's up, man? How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm glad to have you. Um, so let's talk about this. Right now, the uh, the SEC announced that they have the Big 12 Media Days coming. Uh, the SEC announced they're going to do Media Days up in Dallas next season. Uh, I think this is a situation where uh, the Big 12's got to be careful. they got to guard their backyard, per se. I know they're going to keep – they signed the extension to keep the Big 12 championship game up in Dallas. But what are your thoughts on this moving forward? And do you see this as a situation where we start seeing a standoff between these two conferences? I think it's a little too early to to read that deep into it, um, but it certainly is noteworthy that the year that Texas and Oklahoma uh, make the switch to the SEC is going to be a little bit closer to home for both of those schools. Whereas you know Texas A and M has been in the conference for so long. And just now they finally get something in their home state. Uh, but it does make the drive a little bit easier for guys like me, so I can appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but you know, as far as as far as the two conferences, it was announced. Greg Sankey announced that uh, it would be at the Omni Hotel in Dallas. I would assume Big Twelve Media Days is still in Arlington at AT and T Stadium. So maybe that's a little bit enough distance. I know that's like a forty five minute drive or so between the two. Um, that's enough distance for for the conferences to maybe not not go at each other during during the weeks afterwards. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. If this is something to read too much into. I mean, this is something that could change you know the year after for all we know right. um so it could be you know in back in birmingham alabama if we wanted it to in 2025 so we'll just have to see going forward but certainly a, a very interesting move that that caught my attention and the attention of a lot of longhorn fans and probably a lot of longhorn haters too this morning yeah tommy uh, as a probably borderline longhorn hater I, I have to say it just to to make sure people understand where i'm coming from I feel like so often over the last few years, Texas has had maybe unfair expectations just because of the brand they carry. Um, but they're really looking like they should win the conference this year. They've got the talent. The schedule seems to line up. Um, will it truly be a disappointment if they don't win the Big 12 here in their last year in the Big 12? And like, are these outside expectations fair in your mind? I think the expectations are fair. I mentioned at Big 12 Media Days, a phrase that I was throwing around was, this is the all gas, no excuses year uh, for Texas. You know, I've only been on the beat of Texas for two years, but I've known in the past two seasons that I've watched the Longhorns, that, yeah, the expectations have been high. And, you know, there's always throwing around like, oh, this is our year. And the Texas is, I'm not even going to say the last word just because it's so <laughs> taboo. Um, <laughs> 
but really you're right it does seem like this this year seems like every the stars are aligned to put it in in that way uh Quinn Ewers comes back in his second year under the helm of the Texas offense and Steve Sarkeesian's quarterbacks in the past have shown that they can make a good year two jump and the last example you saw of that was Mac Jones at Alabama the wide receiver room is as deep as it's been in a decade plus with Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell coming in from Georgia, Isaiah Nayor coming back healthy. You have one of the best tight ends in college football in Jatavion Sanders, and you return all five starters on the offensive line. So offensively, they seem to be set. And then you flip to the other side of the ball on the defensive line. I think Byron Murphy's going to have a really big year in the middle. And Baron Sorrell coming off a great season last year where he had five sacks on the edge. You drop it back a level, and Jalen Ford, who was runner-up for the Big 12 Player of the Year last year, on the defensive side of the ball, and then dropping it back to the secondary as well. We're turning a lot of production there in guys like Ryan Watts. You bring in Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. It really just seems like this is the roster that if Texas is going to win a Big 12 championship or at least compete for a Big 12 championship, this is the team to do it. And I think it would be a disappointment if Texas didn't even make it uh, to the Big 12 championship. We saw what TCU did last year. They made it there, still ended up losing. So it really is just going to depend on how the rest of the season goes, uh, to, I think, to determine whether or not losing that Big 12 title game will be a disappointment because the Longhorns, for all we know, I'm not throwing this out in the universe. I'm not predicting anything is going to happen. But if they get to the college football playoff in a similar manner of the way TCU did it last year, where they lose the Big 12 title game but still make it in, I'm sure many Longhorn fans wouldn't consider that a disappointment. I think one thing that really uh, this morning going through Twitter and looking at some of the comments coming out of the high, Texas High School Coaches Association meetings over uh, during yesterday were Sark talking about the IQ and the improvement of the mindset for his program. And I think that's really what jumps off the page for me when I think about Texas because they've always had the talent, right? But they've just never like been able to get everybody to buy in. I don't know if that's maybe having too many egos in the room or what, but it seems like there's just been an overall shift in mindset for this program as a whole. Is that something y'all are seeing on the inside and how do you think that they can kind of build off of that and carry it over as they're looking to not just you know this year but make the transition into the sec going forward yeah i think that was really on display throughout the entire time that we saw the longhorns at big 12 media days they they all sort of seem to be on the same page about everything their answers didn't really vary from one to the other if we asked them the same question and i think quinn ewers was the walking example of that uh, very cool and calm collected when we spoke to him on Big 12 media days on Wednesday. And, you know, at times when you're second year quarterback with all that pressure on your back, it, sometimes it may be a little bit overwhelming, but it doesn't seem like it's that way for Quinn and really the rest of this team. They know the expectations that are on their shoulders and they're not looking too far ahead. We, the media hurled plenty of SEC questions at them, but there was no way Steve Sarkeesian was going to answer any of those. And they made a point to, remind us that the day that sec schedules were announced they all went on their instagram stores or social media feeds and posted a picture of the 2023 schedule to remind fans and remind themselves that they need to focus on this season first before they look ahead to next season and when you're making a jump to a bigger a stronger a faster conference like the sec it is a little bit difficult i would say to to not look ahead but it seems like Steve Sarkeesian does a really good job of hammering down this culture at Texas, and everybody seems to be on the same page, and they're locked in for the last season in the Big 12. Yeah, Tommy, part of that, like, because you do have to, at least as Sarkeesian, have to keep an eye on moving to the SEC and how he constructs his roster to that end. 
This year, though, how do you see the depth in the trenches and the depth across the defense especially? Um, like, what's the biggest area of concern and how big of a factor is that this year versus possibly looking at the roster a year down the road heading into the SEC? Yeah, Jack, that's a great question. Uh, when Steve Sarkeesian got to Texas, he, he kind of looked at the roster and was like, why do we have 15 scholarship wide receivers and four scholarship alignment? And that's when <laughs> things started to change. So he, he mentioned that at coaching school as well, I believe. So I, I really like, if we're going to stick to the trenches here, I really like where the Longhorns are at on the offensive line side. Um, Kyle Flood has done a phenomenal job, not only recruiting great talent, but developing it. Like we saw Kelvin Banks and the season that he had last year, he was unbelievable. And it, it, it only looks, it only looks like it'll carry forward. Um, into this next season over there at left tackle. And then, like I said, you return all five starters and you have guys in the depth chart behind those starters that are coming up and starting to crawl their way into the lineup. Guys like Cam Williams, who we could see a lot of this coming season. DJ Campbell, who is one of the higher rated offensive lineman recruits in Texas football history, started um, came in towards the end of the season when Cole Hudson went out with an injury. And they have a lot more depth with the guys in the 2023 class that came in. Those guys are little bit more developmental projects but they're going to have a lot of time to develop because kyle flood has done such a good job stacking up talent in that room where they can take the time to develop those guys into starters in the sec and then when you move to the defensive side of the ball that's when i start to get a little worried about it for texas just because after the season on the interior of the defensive line texas could lose five guys to the NFL. I don't think all five will go. Maybe a guy like Vernon Broaden stays for one more year, depending on how this year goes for him. But they only took one 2023 signee on the interior of that defensive line in Sadir Mitchell. So that may be a position to look for when it comes to the transfer portal. Steve Sarkeesian has said that he will use the transfer portal to find players if they need it. And it seems like there's just a little bit of lack on lack of depth on the interior right now. But if there's one school that can recruit in the transfer portal, Texas is definitely one to keep an eye on for those defensive line recruits. And on the edge, I think they've done a pretty good job setting themselves up there. Ethan Burke looks really promising. They bring in Colton Vosick in the 2023 class. Like I mentioned earlier, Baron Sorrell coming back for another season. He had he led the team in sacks last year. But it's really that interior that is really a big part of the SEC just because you want to be able to stop the run, and that's where it all starts. Texas was incredible at getting pressure on the quarterback last year, but they weren't able to get him down, and that also goes to credit the interior of the defensive line. So you have to get big bodies in there that will get after the quarterback and plug up the run, and I think they need to do a better job of that. But like I said, if there's one school that can recruit and pick up transfers in the portal for that position, if they need to down the line, Texas can do it. I kind of want to build off of that and, and go on in a little more depth. When you look at this roster right now, we know the stars, right? Like we named off all the star players, but there's the guys like Isaiah Nayor, right, who are, who are stars but who haven't had the opportunity. Are there players like him um, that are poised for a breakout season this year? Whether I mean, obviously he's a receiver, but on the defensive side of the ball as well, is there any people maybe who are catching some attention uh, during spring practices that people should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll start with Isaiah. Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a guy that a lot of people forgot about just because of the injury last year that, that kept him out of the season. Uh, when he got to Texas initially, there was a lot of hype because, well, Texas finally had two deep threat wide receivers and him and Xavier Worthy. So that could make Quinn Ewers' job a little bit easier to take the top off the defenses. You, you have to kind of plan your secondary around those two. Ended up being only Xavier Worthy last year, and with a broken hand towards the end of the season, you know, that, that obviously doesn't help. So it's great to have 
uh, Isaiah Nayor back. And if he gets utilized like he was at Wyoming, I think that's definitely a guy who can remind people like, hey, I'm still pretty good at this whole football thing. So that definitely on the offensive side of the ball is a guy that I can see breaking out defensively. A guy that I mentioned earlier, uh, Byron Murphy is is the player that I'm mm-hmm. that I'm really harping on for this for this for this season for Texas on the defensive side. Uh, the past two seasons, he he has produced well. He's played, but it's really been in the rotation. He hasn't started as much. He's been behind guys who went to the NFL. Um, excuse me, in Keandre Coburn and Moro Ojimo. Now he gets to step into that starting role, and I think this is the year where he's going to absolutely uh, take off. And I'm a big fan of Byron Murphy's game, a little bit smaller size-wise, but he makes up for it in just pure power. Uh, I remember covering him at DeSoto when he was in high school, and he would just have like four rips alongside all the parts of his jerseys because everybody would struggle trying to keep him in front of him. And it's, it's really no different at Texas, so... Looking forward to seeing what Byron Murphy does this year, too. Yeah, Tommy, back to Nayor in the wide receiver room. I'm really curious how you see, maybe not the snaps, but the receptions, the yardage, and the TDs getting spread out amongst those guys. Because, I mean, I think Whittington might is probably like the most consistent guy in that group. Obviously, everyone knows what Worthy can do. Nayor is coming off his injury, and then you guys, you have a fourth guy, or maybe he's higher up the list, and A.D. Mitchell, who's just an absolute freak athlete. So how do you see that room playing out on the field? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, I, I could see everybody getting like five touchdowns apiece, or you could see him getting 20 touchdowns apiece in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. You just really never know. Uh, but I, I think to if we're going to predict, I definitely think Xavier Worthy is once again going to lead the charge when it comes to touchdown receptions this year. Um, and right behind him, I think, will be A.D. Mitchell. Uh, Quinn Ewers really seemed to to favor him in the spring game, and he had that unbelievable one-handed catch in the end zone um, that people will remember for a while until the season starts. So I think those two guys will definitely be at the top. And, and third, I think Jatavion Sanders is going to be really a guy that they go to a lot. We saw Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers go to him a lot last season. They love throwing to the tight ends, and, and JT is a guy who will, will get the job done for you. He's physical. He's quick. Uh, he has great hands, so put him at third on that list. And then I think you see a little bit of Jordan Whittington there in the slot. Um, just because he he's a veteran, he brings a lot of experience, and you know he's been injured a lot in his career, so if he stays healthy, I think that definitely bodes well for Texas this year. And then you can drop Isaiah Nayor in there as well as Steve Sarkeesian wants to go for a deep ball and throw it to a guy not named uh, Xavier Worthy or A.D. Mitchell. Definitely a, a big body receiver who is capable of going up and making a grab on a 50-50 ball. When you look at the schedule for Texas, I think it's very favorable. I mean, you know, the Big 12 could have, like, screwed them and sent them, like, like this gave this, this gauntlet when it comes to road games, but that wasn't the case. But when you look at it in general, are there any trap games or games that concern you uh, when you look for at this? Well, I really think the the last four weeks is what is what catches my eye, and I, I'm, these may be out of order. I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Uh, they they host Kansas State, go to TCU, mm-hmm. go to Ames, and then host Texas Tech. Perfect. Uh, those those four games. Oh, I was right. Perfect. Yep. See, sometimes I'm right. Um, <laughs> those those four games uh, really stand out to me as, and that's all back to back to back. That is a tough tough stretch. Um, so I talked about this in a video that I did for Horns 24-7 earlier that I think in those in that three-week stretch before Texas Tech, Texas drops one of those games. 
um, just because Kansas State obviously going to be the second or third best team in the Big 12 this year, I think. So they'll always be a hard pull. They get them at home at least, so that's a little bit easier in that sense. But nonetheless, Will Howard and and the Wildcats still going to be very difficult to bring down the reigning Big 12 champions as well. And then TCU at home uh, at in excuse me in Fort Worth, uh, very very difficult place to play. And I know that place is going to be rocking since it's Texas's last time there, and that's really going to be the case for every away game for the Longhorns this year. You're going to get the best out of every team that you play. And Steve Sarkeesian mentioned that at Big 12 Media Days too. And then Ames. Texas has lost three out of the last four in Ames against Iowa State, which caught me by surprise the first time that I heard that stat. And just historically, they haven't really played well against Iowa State. Matt Campbell's three high flyover defense, for whatever reason, throws throws the Texas offense for a loop sometimes, and they clawed away with a win last season at home. I'm gonna, I think it's going to be difficult for them to do it again uh, in Ames this year, but we'll see. And then last game against Texas Tech, they get them at home. And the Red Raiders have have definitely fired up this Longhorn fan base. I, I just scrolling through Twitter, I don't interact in any of that stuff. <laughs> but I, I, I've seen it, so uh, they they might want to pull out a, another game where a couple of years ago they they hang seventy on them. I think Longhorn fans would adore to see that. But Joey McGuire is doing a phenomenal job at Texas Tech, so that's not going to be an easy game. And I don't think the Longhorns are hanging seventy there. Kind of going along with this, I think this, and we're going to jump into this in our final segment of the show, but one of the reoccurring themes I, I kept hearing at uh, Big 12 Media Days was this is the deepest conference. This is the deepest conference. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think the Big 12 is the deepest conference? I, I don't know if I would say the deepest, um, but they're definitely deep, and they have they have a point when they're saying that. Uh, I, I still would – I think I would give the nod to the SEC there. Um but nonetheless, you think of you think of teams that are going to be able to compete in the Big 12 this year. You've got Texas, you've got Oklahoma, if they can get the ship straight. Uh, Kansas State's up there. TCU is still good, even though they've lost a lot of production from a season ago. And then you bring in schools like U of H, UCF. And I think those two, those two schools and, you know, really some of the other schools as well, like BYU, sort of sleeping giants, especially Houston. Uh, I don't think Houston's going to be all that great this year, but right. going forward, that is a recruiting hotbed. So if Dana Holgerson or if he's not there next year, whoever is the coach at Houston taps into that recruiting hotbed, that's a school that could be very dangerous in the Big 12. And just because there's so much talent in Houston and a lot of times it goes underlooked or it goes to other schools and then we finally notice it. So Keep an eye on those schools, but I, I wouldn't say the deepest conference, um, but but definitely fairly fairly deep, and it could be very exciting. It, it always seems like the conference is wide open, um, and a couple of coaches said that it was wide open this year as well, and for all we know, it very well could be. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with you. I do think the SEC, and maybe even at least this year, the Pac-12 kind of mm-hmm. are in that argument, um, and Houston the transfer is back home they could get after those guys leave Houston aren't exactly. happy. That could be big for them. But turning turn the eyes back to Texas, uh, as they always are. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to go into another offensive room and ask for, like, how do you see the, like, the carries playing out? But running back, it's very young, and there's a lot of talent there. But, like, how do they replace Bijan? Who gets the carries? Well, I'll start off by saying uh, there is no replacing Bijan Robinson. There is no replacing Roshan Johnson. Those guys are 
you know, once in a generation type running backs that, um, you know, we will, we won't be able to see something as good as them for a while. I don't think, uh, just because, uh, you know, Bijan was just, uh, I'm, I'm really struggling to find a word to put it just because he was that good. He was a guy where if you needed 10 yards on third and 10, usually you throw the ball, you could hand it off to him and probably get 12. Um, so <laughs> I think it's going to be, it's, it, you're never going to fill those shoes, but you definitely have talent there. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian said at Big 12 Media Days that there's not going to be a bell cow to start off the season for this running back room, but I think a majority of the carries are going to go to Jonathan Brooks, who has shown a lot of promise. Rushed for over 100 yards at Kansas after Bijan scored like four touchdowns and uh, played well in the bowl game as well, had a touchdown against Washington. And we've heard a lot of good things from him during fall camp and as we head close, or spring camp, excuse me, heading into fall camp so we can definitely keep an eye on him and assume that he's going to get a majority of the carries to start off the season and then behind him it it really is just a a by committee you can have your pick you've got a guy like Jaden blue who's a former five-star before he elected not to play his senior season of high school came down to a four-star but at one point was the number one running back in the country and is being is gone through several summers now with Tashar choice who is one of the better running back coaches out there and you've, he had a really good spring game, broke off for a touchdown that I don't know how he scored because he got, had like four four tackles missed there. Um, and then you bring in the number one running back in the 2023 class and C.J. Baxter, who has shown a lot of promise as well. So really those three guys, I think you could you could rotate in and out there. And then uh, Savion Red is a guy who they moved from the wide receiver room to the running back room. And I think there could be some plays designed specifically for him they want him to use him and i always hate this term because every one uses it but in a debo samuel type role where he kind of just you give him the ball and let him run um because he is a wide receiver turned running back so that's that's a guy that you could see some some steve sarkeesian special design plays for but um really i think jonathan brooks is going to be your top guy you have Jaden blue and cj baxter behind him and then you work some savior on red in there as well Okay, and just quick follow-up. What kind of balance do you see the offense having this year? Do you think it's a little less run-heavy than last year? Not to say they were run-heavy last year, but you you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I I think it's going to vary depending depending on the game. And Steve Sarkeesian has said that he wants to establish the run, as you always do, in order to open up the passing game. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how patient he is to see if the running game can get going, because I think there will be growing pains, obviously, with with Bijan and Roshan gone, and you have Jonathan Brooks now. But I don't know if there will be as many as some people think there is. I think Jonathan Brooks is a completely capable running back for Texas. I think he's going to get the job done at a high level, and therefore I think that opens up the passing game. But with as many wide receivers as they have, it, it's hard not to think that you'll see a little bit more passes thrown out this year. Um so, you know, you rely on your run game a little bit, but I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to throw the ball a lot more than he did last season. I think one of the more interesting quotes, because you didn't see too many people throwing shots at Texas and Oklahoma. I think the Big 12 really handled that perfectly as they were exiting. But uh, the deputy commissioner, Tim Weisner, did throw a shot at the the Horns and the Sooners, saying they would rather exit this decisions more about being affiliated with the group of schools. You'd rather get beat by Bama than K-State or Florida than Iowa State. What are your general thoughts on that statement? 
Well, I mean, it, it is what it is. Every, every, every Everyone's going to have their own opinions, and, and that's totally fine. Um, but, I mean, if you look at it from a strictly you know revenue perspective, which mm-hmm. is a lot of what it's about these days, you have two of the biggest brands in college football, and why wouldn't you want to ally yourself with even bigger brands? You would, you're would you only making yourself some more money. I don't have the numbers on how much bigger the SEC contract is, the SEC TV rights deal is, than the Big 12 meteorites deal is but i would assume it's it's still pretty lucrative and and definitely more so i I, you know sure does does a loss against alabama look different than a loss against kansas state yes but at the same time would you rather you know lose to alabama and make 50 million dollars or lose to kansas state and make 35 million dollars so i think that definitely has a part to do with it and texas wants to compete against the best just because you if you're a big brand you want to compete against the best the sec is the best conference in college football and you want to be able to compete at a high level there and and show that you know you are a true college football blue blood and you are a true college football power so i think the move just made sense for all parties involved um and you know the deputy commissioner can can think what he wants to think but at the end of the day you know that's that's what it is yeah Garrett's doing a great job getting the big picture stuff. I'm still stuck on uh, the on the field stuff. So my, my last uh, on the field question for today, what kind of games do you expect? I know every every team has a different style, but overall, do you see more high scoring games or do you see maybe some more defensive struggles through the year? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's hard to, to look at this offense and not see a lot of scoring. Um, just because you have so many weapons on the field. But when you look at the defense as well, there aren't, there aren't too many holes. So you, you I, I don't, I don't expect this to be a struggling year for the Longhorn defense either. So I'm not saying they're going to win every game 70 to nothing, but I, I definitely think that offensively it's going to be a much sounder team. Um, I think that they're going to score a lot of points, but it's also not a team that's, you know, kind of like, and no, no shots to here to, to Lincoln Riley, but you know, how USC and, and Oklahoma was, you know, you score 42 points and you give up 43. So they, I think they definitely have a sound enough defense uh, to be able to, to limit their opponents, but that's not to say there won't be any close games and uh, there won't be yeah. any massive blowouts either. Uh, I guess a better way to ask the question that I really want to get at is if they're in a tight game, do you think it's going to be in the thirties or forties or in the like teens and twenties? If they're in a tighter game, I, I, I would say maybe higher twenties into the mid thirties. Um, just cause that defense I think that, is doing a good job limiting their yeah, offense. Just, I think, I think the defense does a good enough job to limit their offense. Um, and the offense is going to be able to get you points if you need them uh, in a hurry. Awesome. Tommy, last thing I have for you, Texas is picked to win the Big 12 championship. Who do you have in the game, and who is the winner uh, in Arlington at the end of the year? Oh, boy, Gary. You're going to get me in trouble here. I'm gonna <laughs> I know. Screenshots. I got to, man. I'm going to get <laughs> screenshots of this six <laughs> months from now, and everybody's going to be calling for my job. Come on, man. Um, no, that is, that is a good question. Um, I also haven't really thought about it because I, I try not to look ahead too much. Right. Um, but if, if I had to pick, I would say – I think Texas goes to the Big 12 championship game, and I think Kansas State is there waiting for them yep. again. And I think Texas beats Kansas State in a narrow game and uh, and wins the Big 12 championship in their last year. That would be a blast. I'm not going to lie. That would be a hell of a championship game, and I could definitely see that happening. I I've, I've keep going back and forth, man. Like, That's the one I have my money on. That's the matchup, and 
sadly that's the outcome i have too <laughs> no, it, it's going to be a lot of fun I, it, it sucks to see texas and oklahoma go i know a lot of people have mixed emotions on it but at the end of the day uh, they, they were great for the conference they're fun to watch they're they're great programs their, their reputation speaks for itself but he is tommy yarish you can find him on twitter at tommy underscore yarish hey man we appreciate you joining us and uh good luck continue success as uh, your career goes on thanks guys appreciate you having me i had a blast yeah. All right, coming up next here on the College Chaos Podcast, we're going to get into some of the biggest changes in mindsets for themes heading uh, coming out of Big 12 Media Days, as well as we'll dump, jump into, is the Big 12 really the deepest conference? That's coming up next here on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Emery Winter here with you, and... Appreciate Tommy Yarsh, Horns247 yeah. coming on and great guest. Getting the show started. He's good, man. He uh he's one of the I've been able to connect with a lot of these young and up and coming people in the industry and he's somebody I always rely on. So I appreciate Tommy definitely jumping on the show with us for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh one of the things I want to get into, I was thinking about this. So the, my mindset a lot of um changed a lot coming out of Big Twelve Media Days. Coming into it, I you know, as as have been documented i haven't wasn't really high on baylor at all yeah was um, that was that your big change coming away because i'm not gonna lie between <sighs> all the work we had to do all the stress that came with it and just most of what i ended up hearing from the interviews and whatnot right. it felt like yeah no i know this maybe maybe i'm a little more confident in ucf than i was but otherwise, you, it sounds like you've got a big mover well, here. I, I just feel like, okay, so coming into this, I felt like Baylor was just kind of lost in the shuffle, right? Like, I feel like they had their identity a couple of years ago, and then as the way last year unfolded, maybe they lost it a little bit. Um, and I just I wasn't really sure about shaping. The defense lost so much talent. Like, who's really going to step up? But, man, listening to Aranda talk and the way he just kept – gushing over Mike Smith, the, the transfer linebacker that come in from Liberty. And he was talking about going back to the spring game and just throughout the practices, like every other play, Mike Smith was in the middle. Like, And, and what, to me, when Dave Aranda speaks highly of a defensive player, but especially the linebacker, um, that really gets my attention. And yeah. then, you know, we have an opportunity to visit with Mike Smith and just listen to him talk. And uh, I know when he came in, I believe he was like 220. Uh, Vic Valoria and those guys have done a great job in the weight room. He Mike Smith's up to like 240 right now in every bit of him. He's freaking <laughs> solid, dude. Yeah. And um, just listen to the way he was talking. Um, his mindset, I think he's going to be able to bring in a lot of great leadership that was probably lacking last year. Uh, and that was another thing, too, just kind of the leadership as a whole. Like, we've heard Dave Aranda talk about it at nauseum about how he didn't handle things properly and let a lot of things slide. But it wasn't just Aranda. I mean, you had, you had players. You had T.J. Franklin uh, coming in. And, you know, this is a guy who's been at Baylor for a while now. And just open oh, – just the way he said that yeah, in that interview. Just, like, openly admitting, like, hey, you know, I, I didn't do a good enough job of, of holding people accountable think, as well. I think his exact wording was – I didn't want to be the bad guy. Exactly. I don't care this year. Yes. He, that second part. No, he, I don't he, care this he, year wasn't quite that. He but he's like, I am, I am ready to be the bad guy this year. I'm ready to have, have those, those tough hard conversations. conversations. Yes, that's a, that's what it was. And when he said that, I was like, well, damn. Like, you know, this is – people are taking this more seriously. And, and you, rightfully so. I, I think maybe that's maybe me being naive, uh, thinking that they wouldn't take uh, – not necessarily that they wouldn't take it seriously. I think – Maybe those guys, the guys that 
need to take it seriously for the team this year. It registered. Took it seriously for themselves last year while the these other problem players were. Right. And I, I don't mean problem players in like a super damning way, just like when other guys were goofing off, the guys who mm. took it seriously weren't trying to do anything yeah. about those those guys who weren't helping the team. Right. Now they're like, no, it's our responsibility. I, I think it's cool too, like because, and, and you know, we've talked about this. I, I don't know if we've necessarily talked about it here, but I, I don't know, like off the air, we've talked a lot about how the uh, person over player philosophy and the, the, the challenges that it takes as a college program nowadays to make that work, given the dynamic with NIL and everything. But I, I've, I've been kind of curious how they would navigate that and how that would benefit them, especially when it comes to like recruiting and stuff. I thought they might fall by the wayside, but I, I really think it's starting to register with the right people. And it, it's starting to, while it, I don't think you can do this everywhere, and I think that Dave Aranda and is kind of like in the ideal position with Mac Rose and Linda Livingstone is like Baylor has been longing. I feel like the Baylor fans and, and Emory Jack, y'all can follow me up on this because y'all are you know you went to Baylor and everything have been longing for a coach like a Grant Taft to come in and plant roots and just be here, be a part of it, and build something, and you know. Given the trials and tribulations, I think Browse was what people were hoping for. That you know, shit hit the fan with that. And then obviously Matt Rule used this as a, a launching point for the NFL. But Dave Aranda seems like he's very comfortable here. It could be that. And I think if given the right time, and I think he's got the right tools around him, that he might be able to make this work. Yeah, I think for Aranda, Waco and Baylor are a place where he's kind of allowed to do this. He's, Absolutely. He's, he's going to get that maybe that extra year to to get things to where he wants it to be and it's it's a christian university so they're not going to have a problem as long as that person over player is somewhere in that christian vein. right, right. Uh, they're not going to have a problem with that there are unique challenges to trying to build a program that way i think you start slower um i you start slower but i think it's easier when you're starting it off right so it's been a rocky transition away from the rule roster to a true Aranda roster. Which we still really and don't know what that is. Exactly. So, like, this is going to – everyone's already said it. Like, people know it. This is going to be a big year for Baylor yeah. in that regard, big year for Aranda. Um, but, frankly, I, see, I think it's easier to build around a person over player mantra because it helps you weed out. Like, if you're recruiting the, the three-star, low four-star kind of guys, right. it helps you weed out the, the problem players already. Just because that, like, you're not mm. selling the the glitz, the glam, the right, flash, yeah. the playing time. You're selling like we're gonna we're gonna make you a better person and a better player. Yeah. Um. So I think it helps you when you're recruiting that if they can find the success and start competing for conference titles every year, mm -hmm. being expected to win conference titles, expected to be in the playoff. It gets tougher then when you get more talent, and it it's tougher to turn down talent. Right. No, it is. So I. I am a little surprised more colleges don't have this kind of approach where they really focus on having a unique selling point rather than just like, oh, we're like this region brand of cool versus right, yeah. that region brand of cool. Or we're like, we're Adidas cool instead of Nike cool, you know? Yeah. Because at a certain point, it all does start feeling similar. And then it's just like, I really don't know what it comes down to other than maybe the personal relationships with the coach and how much you trust them, but mm -hmm. even those guys can be out the door like that. So it, I think it's a good way to build a program. I think it fits Baylor. At this point, it's just he's got to go make it happen. Yeah. 
No, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. And I know like another thing that really stood out to me and, you know, I might be, this might sound ignorant because apparently they were picked second, uh, K-State in the championship mindset that's already been established. Like I knew they had a lot of talent coming back. I mean, I'm still concerned about their schedule because if you go and look, 95% of their toughest matchups are on the road this season. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm, that's really what made me apprehensive about Kansas State and putting them in the Big 12 championship game. But, man, dude, listening to Chris Kleiman talk, uh, it just the casual coolness there. Um, going back to talking about when he was at North Dakota State and they were winning all the championships, it got to a point where he didn't necessarily, like, ban the players from wearing their championship gear around campus and stuff. But he made them know that, like, it's cool to have that around your family and stuff, but we don't want to see that here. And you're already seeing the players buy into that, right? Like last year while you won the Big 12 championship, it just doesn't matter. Like the, the yeah. slate's cleaned. Um, like, and I, I, I can't say I remember seeing the Baylor guys show up to the next media day with their rings, but I remember Kleiman made a point of like, yeah, we didn't bring we our rings. We will not. Yes. We won't. We didn't. Like this is about this next season. And so he's doing a great job of controlling that mindset and maybe not controlling, but like fostering that fostering right. is a nicer word. Um, and I think all of his guys are bought in also the way he builds a program just lends itself to it. Dude, like he builds from the trenches. They don't play flashy ball. Like they, they allow guys to flash in their yeah. system, but they're not out there being like, we're going to be the fastest offense. We're going to score the most points. They're just like, we're going to do our thing. Good luck stopping it because, like, even if you do stop us the first time, like, we're gonna we're gonna work harder than you. We're gonna try harder than you. Eventually, you are gonna break, and it, we're not. It's the ultimate blue collar, you know, program. Really, like when you get down, there's a handful of them, but, it, they but it's are, not like old school blue yeah. collar where you're like, oh, okay, pull yourself into this century. Like, no, like if Iowa had an offense, that it's was like from a this modern century, blue collar. It's like if Iowa had an offense from this century, they they, they, <laughs> yeah, they could they be really competing could. at a high level yeah. because their defense is consistent, like top ten every year. Yeah, and I think too, like it's it's crazy because Kleiman has been able to get these guys to. It's funny how like coaches can have success and then still manip, not manipulate might not be the right word, but you can tr like yeah manipulate the mind to still feel like you're an underdog. And there was one uh, quote here from Will Howard, the quarterback, uh, K-State quarterback that stood out to me. We're always going to view ourselves as an underdog. I feel like K-State has that mindset. No matter what, even though we won the Big 12 last year, people are still going to talk about Texas and Oklahoma and all that. We like that. That is it, who we are. It's going to be really easy for them unless they go on a run of, a of honestly, a few in like four or five years yeah. here. Because – even with Texas and OU leaving, I think the the glitz and glam of Texas, even for Baylor, a, mm -hmm. a program that is not building itself on glitz and glam, like you look at you look at Tech, you look at TCU, those are flashier programs. Right, yes. They're ones that are really trying to vie for that. Like, no, we're gonna Younger we're gonna run the cooler. Big Twelve. Uh Oklahoma State has gotten away from it, but what was Gundy's core through most of his tenure? Great yeah. offense, great receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. Uh and so, like, there's 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 hype elsewhere, and Kansas State, there. I don't want to say they're little brother, but when people think of like the universities in Kansas, I think, I think that KU gets more hype. What's well, the it's, basketball? It's, it's the basketball it's because they're, I don't know how yeah. it's bled over, but now now they're picking up steam in football. I think that's an extra bit of like motivation motivation and and don't forget about us and like you're writing us off again mm -hmm. like 
Kansas State's not hurting for reasons to feel like they're the underdog. Right. And that's great. Great for climbing. It's great for climbing. It's great for the Wildcats. Um, but yeah, I like. I don't. Know, I don't think my opinion on them has changed. But maybe that's just because I've been up to Manhattan a couple of times. Yeah. I, I I know people who are dyed in the wool Wildcats. Right. Um, so I like them a bit more than the average Big Twelve team, and I I think they're going to have a lot of success here. No, they should. And it was just funny, like just to see the. I think it's just cool to see like be there and like you hear you can hear things from afar but when you actually see it and you know in person what one thing that jumped out to me kind of in that vein because uh-huh. um, you, you mentioned your two schools just before we finish this segment I'd like to kind of throw one out yeah. for me I am a little higher on UCF coming out of out of media oh, dude, I've been sold on UCF. just yeah yeah may, maybe I'm getting to your closer to your level I'm not quite there thinking the bounce house is some kind of fortress yet it it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. I'm really I'm really hoping to be out in Orlando for that game where Baylor is the first home yep. Big 12 game for them. But the way Malzahn talked about building that roster, the way where it seems more so than any of the other new members that while they might while other schools might have been looking at facilities and logistics of joining the Big mm-hmm. 12, Malzahn was there being like I don't know what conference we're going to get into, but we are going to get into a conference where Mm -hmm. we're going to be ready to compete. Now, I don't think they're ready to compete for the championship. Yeah. But I think they're ready to be a worst and middle of the pack team. Oh, hell yeah. They they will be there in that pack of like, could they pop up with the, the, the Kansases, the, the Baylors, the Mm -hmm. techs of like, Hey, if things go right for them, if their schedule works out, like, so that that's what I that was probably my my biggest takeaway from media days, honestly, as far as the an individual school. Yeah, I think it was cool, like listening to Malzahn talk about the UCF job because he was. I think Smokey had asked him about um, his how Auburn came to an end and um, his perception on UCF as a whole. And he said that was a program he always kept an eye on. And he always thought to himself, if they got the right guy in there, who kind of like we were talking about with Baylor, who is dedicated for the long term, that they could be really good. And it's funny how he put himself in that situation. So I I would, you know, I don't want to, I think Malzahn is having a blast down at UCF. Um, I think he wants to take advantage of it. Um, and I think he knows that the proximity, it, like you were talking with Tommy about Houston and what they can do going forward. We're already seeing it with them, with UCF, the, the recruiting and the ability to keep that talent going back. They're going to be a force. They'll, they'll bring going high forward. end transfers back Absolutely. to Florida. They'll get Texas guys who are like, I want to, I want to go to Florida. Yeah, for college. I want something different. Right. I want something different, but they're still going to be able to come back to Texas for yep. like a couple games a year probably yep. so yeah i think the the last thing i want to touch on uh that stood out to me and i i didn't pick west virginia as last i thought that was very disrespectful um but nil brown or houston man there's it, no, no two i ways think it's them or cincy honestly well I, I think it's probably them houston and cincy but I, I would i've given west virginia the benefit of the doubt because they've been here uh and it just seems wrong to throw incoming programs who haven't gone through a big 12 schedule ahead of them but neil brown man listen to him talk he is pissed uh he has taken this very personal uh he mentioned like going back to the big 12 got the colors wrong on their theme yeah, they that put was burnt terrible. orange that was terrible like i don't and the, what really cracked me up i think this might have been my favorite comment of 
from anybody at Big 12 Media Days. As uh, <laughs> he was talking about Rim Baker, the new AD, and his relationship there and how things are going, he was like, you know what? I think he's, he's kind of busy with basketball right now. Like, just like, because you know, like, if I've been, th- I've been thinking about this this whole time, like, if you're Neil Brown, how much of a sigh of relief in your gut was it to see the shit hit the fan with Huggins, Dude, knowing that maybe this could alleviate some of the pressure is, for me? A man who says that with, with that man in the same room, I know it was a big, big room, but right. with that man in the same room. That's a guy who has nothing to lose. That's no, a guy with like I part of my Neil language. Brown, like I don't know how many more fucks he has to give. Right. It's just like this is where we're at. Like he's in a corner, right? And that can be a dangerous place to put someone who's a fighter. Well, see, I also feel like look, and I didn't realize this. They had they bring back their entire offensive line. They bring back three of their four running backs, and C.J. Donaldson is coming off that that devastating injury against uh, TCU last season. But man, I think we kind of forget how good he was as a freshman. And if if Garrett Green, I think it's kind of hard to be any worse than J.T. Daniels hey, was last you year. Asked me, but if Garrett Green can kind of not turn the ball over a little <laughs> bit. Then maybe they can. I'm not look. I'm not expecting them to go on some magnificent run. I just would love to see them get 500. They they all need to run the ball like freaking 40 times. A I know because <laughs> Garrett Green's not going to pass it. And who's he passing it to? Because all their good receivers transferred out. I know. And we're not even looking at that defense, which it's is shady. It is shady. I, I would just love. I love No Brown. I, I'm hoping this is a mulligan year for him. It's not. I know it's not, but I would. I'm just hoping. Like Josh Neighbors was going on about at Big 12 Media Days. That is a dead man walking. You hate to see the it. Schedule is not in favor. The all of the crap around West Virginia. I. Ren Baker's going to clean house, not in a mean way, but just like he almost has to. He really does. Everything is working out and that he can do it and be like free of it on his conscience. Right. Anyway, we do need to save a little time for our last discussion topic. What is the deepest conference in college football? You are arguing for the Big 12. I'm over here saying I'm it's like, close. Eh, it's close. It's I don't weird. You're an SEC the homer, and the SEC is is pretty deep, and the Pac-12 is looking That's very the one intriguingly that deep this year. Yep. So we're going to dive into that here next on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. We are about to put a bow on this show, as Garrett always says. And today, that's going to be in the form of looking at what conference is the deepest for this coming season of college football. Now, the Big 12, all through media days, you heard people talking about how, hey, this is the deepest conference. This is going to be a knife fight of a conference. It's just looking like everyone has as much of a shot as the next guy to to pop off this year and have a good year. Go 8-4, and 9-3, and three, maybe be in that Big 12 championship game conversation. But the Pac-12 has some great quarterback play, and the top end of their conference is looking deeper than it probably has been in years. Lower programs are making moves. Mm-hmm. Arizona State under, uh, under uh, Dillingham, Dillingham could be on the come up. And then, obviously, if you're talking about the best and looking at the conference level, the SEC has to be in the conversation, no matter what what the question is, right. unless it's the best at losing. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, Garrett, what what's your initial take on this question? So, when all right, the first person I know, Brett Yormark opened the the 
his statement up, his opening statements of the Big 12 media days were about this, but we were up to the side doing other things. So I didn't really hear Brett uh, say this. The first person I heard mention this was Chris Common. And when he said it, I kind of did the bitter bear face, you know, just kind of took a, a step back and I was like, what the hell is he talking about? And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I think they're the most competitive top to bottom because I think that can't be denied. I, that's where I think this gets gets skewed and why most people look at it. Maybe because, a semantics kind of Yeah, thing. because, all right, while we're talking, we just had the conversation about West Virginia, right? And, and them, Cincy, and Houston being at the bottom. While that's true, I feel like any of those teams can sneak up and beat somebody. Like I, I feel like they're 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 dangerous, right? Like you can't overlook anybody, especially when you know you mentioned Neil Brown as being a wounded animal. I think that's a great point. I think you you could probably have people make that same argument for Dana Holgerson. I feel like Dana Holgerson gets a pass this year, um, but at the same Only time, here he should get a pass. Yeah, I know, but at the same time, dude, like. Okay, and I'm all with you on the Pac-12 because I feel like this is the deepest their league has been in quite some time. But at the same I still time, I don't think it quite measures up. It doesn't because, like, okay, realistically, Cal sucks. Like, like Cal, Stanford, they're not going to be able to pull off the same type of things as some of these bottom uh, uh, of the the Big 12 teams are. Uh, you go to the Big Ten, like, dude, Northwestern, even without all of the the crap going on up there right now, or Iowa, they legitimately have no chance. Okay. Yeah, SEC, Vanderbilt, cool. You you just extended your coach today, but realistically you have no shot. And with the Big Twelve, I mean the ACC, right? Like there's Boston College, there's teams over there. I just feel like when you look at the Big Twelve, you can't say that. And I feel like maybe that's what's skewing this. Uh, but I, so I was curious going See, over. Go I, ahead. I, I do think I need to push back. I will say that about West Virginia. I will say that about Houston. And I'm very close to saying that about Cincinnati. Um, I do think that the league has its fair share of decently bad teams. Right. They're not programs I expect to be bad every year. And I think that's different from these other conferences. And part of that might be of a, a virtue or a symptom, whatever you want to call it, of the conference changing form so quickly right. where we don't know what we, we should expect the status quo to be, especially since this is a one-off year where there are 14 and there won't be the same 14 mm -hmm. there next year, if even 14. Um, but I do think Houston, West Virginia, Cincinnati, if that is your bottom three of the conference this year, I take them over Vanderbilt pretty easily. I take them over multiple SEC teams. And so... When we start asking about deepest conference, we do have to start looking at like, okay, those middle of the pack teams, a lot of them should go bowling, but like, are the are the Baylors, the Kansases, the the UCFs, are they going to beat maybe a Arkansas, a Kentucky, or a Missouri? And those are interesting contests. I think that's where the question really lies. No, it does. I mean, I think that's a really good point because like, national championship level programs are not going to fall very often to Kansas State or Tech or even this year's Texas. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's a good point. Like you could go back what the the last three years and look like Ole Miss has been beaten by multiple Big Twelve teams. And I, I think they're the fringe um I think they're the breaking point for the SEC when you get to middle of the pack to lower yeah. tier. I think that's that's where they're at. You go back to last year, Arkansas and Kansas. That was a hell of a game. That was a hell of a game. Well Arkansas, Arkansas got the win. Arkansas wasn't as good as people expected yeah. them to be. So uh, and so that that's kind of what I'm getting at. And you know, Kansas State beat Mizzou, but the, Kansas State ended up being better than a lot of people expected them. Um so it 
I would. Well, K State got obliterated by Bama last year. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like it's a it's a tough thing to measure, but pound for pound. I think I'm taking the middle of the Big 12 over the middle of the SEC. I am too. There's, there's just some, there's something about it where I think SEC programs, they're, they struggle to compete because the top end they have to compete mm -hmm. with is the national championship. Yes. And so the middle of the pack teams in a different conference benefit from the top end not being yeah. so tough to like it's not it's not so insurmountable of a goal to be like no we can get there we can beat them we can play for our conference title and so they'll attract better players and they'll do a little bit better in recruiting mm. now also think too this is probably part of the new branding for the big 12 right like you you do not have that face that that brand per se team anymore so that may be how you're having to like put package yourself as a conference um, you know, maybe it's smart, but I also think it was unique timing because I don't really listen to much national radio anymore at all. Uh, and I, the only one I check into is Dan Patrick. If it's, they have something great. I'm interested in. That's a great guy to check oh, yeah, in. Yeah, on my way to the studio. And ironically, today they did. I, I was listening to it and out of nowhere, they started talking about the Big 12 and started talking about like K-State and how fun it is and all of the, and that's something I haven't heard before, like from a national level. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the perception of the Big 12 how it's changed nationally and I, you know I think a lot of that credit goes to Brett Yormark but also these the dip, having different multiple teams win and be represent you in the championship game the past few years but it's an interesting topic I know a lot of people could debate it either way uh, but I do think it's fun and I do have more respect and I, I think this is going to be hands down the funnest conference to watch week in and week out going forward. Yeah, I, I really do too, especially since I, I don't necessarily see Tennessee making the East competitive for the SEC. Uh, LSU and Bama, that's good. That's Bama's a little down. LSU's on its way up. Yeah, but you so, never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, but there, there's something I think inherently more exciting about a conference where you're really like, it, it's coming down to the last week of the season Absolutely. and it could still be three teams that could make the conference title game for the second spot because yep. the, the fourth one is they're already in yeah like it, it's it's more fun and i wish there were more diehards like us out there who like if, if this was happening in a conference that didn't have my team i would still be in on it because it's exciting sports i'm here i'm here for exactly. that you're the example <laughs> of that i just i want to make sure that's um that's understood when i say this because right like i wish there were more of us out there so that this is what would be valued yeah. higher i think it's coming. Valu valued higher than it's always this school it's always it's always georgia versus bama yeah. it's always this it's this it the, the big 10 title is always played a week before the big 10 titles actually played for exactly. because it's always the game yeah stuff like that where it's just like Come on. <laughs> I want new. I want chaos. Yeah. Well, we're I know, getting I know, it, dude. I know I say it a lot, but it's just one of those things, man, where like if you want to see the game played at the highest level, watch the NFL. Yeah. If you exactly. want to see the people who are going to have the fewest mistakes and and you can bet more assuredly on things, like if you're trying to make money on betting, watch the NFL. Bet on the NFL. You want to see the dumb, crazy, random stuff happen. Why are those the greatest highlights? Why is the kick six one of the oh. greatest highlights? Because nobody saw that. Nobody, nobody saw, saw that crap coming. Where would that happen otherwise? It wouldn't. 
Where else do you rush the field because you haven't beaten a team in goddamn 20 years? Tennessee. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is why we watch. I wish that the money followed that more so than the championships, yeah. more so than the sustained success. It's, it's always fun to have a foil. Do not get me wrong. It's always fun to have a villain to go after, a villain to topple. Right. But having a conference like the Big 12, a conference where you don't know what's going to happen that year, the entertainment values through the roof for those of us sickos who are ready to watch all of it. <laughs> no, it really is, man. I'm so excited for this year. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to have more heat as, as we're gearing up to it. I think next week we're going to try to get somebody from Oklahoma. We'll preview the Sooners, and we'll just keep bringing you more teams as we gear up for the season. But uh, is there any parting words you'd have to say for the people? Have fun for the rest of the summer, man, because we're dying here in Texas. Dear Lord. Yes, the heat is absolute BS. Uh, but that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Chaos Podcast. We appreciate appreciate you listening, whether it be live or when you go back and check us out on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, this has been Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie on the College Chaos Podcast. Peace. Peace.